how are you going to build the metaverse if you're not? Like to me, when I hear that story, I'm like, that's great. I believe in Mark Zuckerberg. I should buy more shares in Facebook. He's clearly really passionate about this. It's not a negative thing. These are just a bunch of Karens. Sorry, I didn't want to swear. <laughs> you're, get, you're getting heated. Things are getting heated here. On the I, am, I am getting heated. I am getting heated because I, I, I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg deserves the amount of hate that he gets. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and these kind of headlines up here are so misleading and I am so against misleading headlines. Good morning, marketers. Uh, we're back and we got some fun stories today. We got some exclusives and we got our first ever guest coming on the show. Just like a real news broadcast, we, we're bringing in experts to cover some of these stories. Um, yeah, quick update uh, on uh, on the last episode. I did have some people say that our energy was a little bit low on the last episode, and Ooh. I admit I was I was a little bit tired. Yeah, so um, so this time we're going to pick it up a little bit and uh, make sure our energy is at at eleven. Now, most people don't get the joke, you know. Turn it up to eleven. I know Andre is going to know the joke, so we can talk to Andre about it. You do know, right, Andre? Do I? Turn it up to 11? You know? Oh. It's from a movie. Okay. What movie? I don't get it. You got it. Okay, come on, man. You don't you know? Turn it up to 11? What's that? What movie is that from? All right, let's just like play the clip for everyone. To, uh, you know, what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah. the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, the amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Because, <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, turn it to 11 is from like... Damn, I'm, I'm also out of the loop on that one. I have no idea what the reference is. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, all right. So getting right into it, let's get to our first story. Uh, Hootsuite is, is bullying bloggers about the use of their logo. And I saw the story come up on my newsfeed on Facebook and um, thought it was very interesting because it, it was getting a lot of traction and engagement from Ian Anderson Gray, who posted the story. Um, and uh, I started getting into it. And, you know, I've, I've had some experiences around trademarks and copyright and so on from working with Andre in the past. And so getting into this, this is what, what he said. He posts, I'm really not sure where to start on this one. Last week, I received an email from someone in Hootsuite's legal department that I violated their brand assets terms of service. And then if I don't sort it out, they will take all necessary legal action. Wow. said, so firstly, I've never had anything against Hootsuite. It's an okay social media management tool. It's not a tool I've used much, but I have recommended it to some businesses over the years. And he goes on about how he wrote a blog post. He's got two blog posts on Hootsuite. One was called Seven Reasons Not to Use Hootsuite, and the other one called Seven Reasons Why You Should Use Hootsuite. And he wrote a review about their product. So what, ha what happened is he took screenshots of their product for his blog post. So of course, those screenshots would end up having the Hootsuite logo in them. And also, he had a banner image at the top of his post uh, that also included the Hootsuite logo. 
So they asked them to take some certain actions to remove the logo from the post. So what it appears to be is that they did not like his review and in a sense are saying, take it down. That's kind of the, the feeling going on here. Uh, this post has accumulated almost 200 comments of people going, wow, this is not cool. Uh, Ian made an update in one of the, in one of the comments here. He says, update. I think I pretty much removed the logos and I've set up a redirect from my seven reasons why you should use Hootsuite to seven reasons not to use Hootsuite. <laughs> he said, the should article was getting pretty old anyways. <laughs> I've changed the Hootsuite logo on the infographic to a hand drawn chalkboard font. Uh, the thing I am unsure about is, is where I've taken screenshots of the Hootsuite website and the product in which the Hootsuite logo appears is I don't need to remove those. Do I question mark? So really quick, we got to give a shout out to Ian. I talked to him. I told him we we're going to cover the story. He was cool with it. So I just want to give a shout out to Ian. His name is Ian Anderson Gray. Uh, you can check out his website. It's IAG.me. Great domain name, by the way, Ian. I uh, love that. Uh, he's also got a Facebook page and I actually, uh, I've been friends with him for a long time on Facebook, but don't really know him uh, personally, but I see here that he's actually doing some education for people on, on doing video and video marketing. You can see his latest show here is about uh, how to set up a live show on a Mac, which is kind of what we're doing here with Riverside, but we were talking before how we don't really like Riverside. I don't know what he's recommending, but we should probably watch a show afterwards. <laughs> this is the updated blog post. I have it on my screen right now. It says seven reasons not to use Hootsuite. And I used the Wayback Machine to show you what it used to look like. It used to also say seven reasons not to use Hootsuite with the Hootsuite owl in the, in the, um, in the banner image. And let's bring on our first guest of the show, our expert, Andre Midkoff, trademark expert, coming in to tell us what is going on here, Andre. What's in the going front, on, baby? <laughs> hey, good to see you, Matt. Good to see you, Andrew. <laughs> Yeah, Andre, I, I got to say, I'm really excited to have you here on this uh, episode to talk about the story here, because I mean, I, I, Matt and I are hardly the experts on this. We're, we're digital marketers, we're social media experts, and I've certainly had my, my fair share of uh, interacting with community members that are using uh, uh, the company's brand, the company that I'm working for at the time brand and, or logo and whatnot. And, uh, and here I feel like uh, I feel bad for this uh, Ian Anderson Gray uh, fella. I would love to know what your input is on Andre as far as did Hootsuite kind of cross a line here? Has they done it? Have they done any damage to their their uh, their audience members, their their customers by uh, behaving in such a manner? Or are they well within their rights that uh, that they can dictate such terms to uh, someone in the public? All right. So let me start with just putting out a general framework here, because one thing that most people don't realize is that law on the books is very different from what you can get out of it in practice, right? Like in theory, Canada is supposed to be a free country, right? Oh, that went. And there are you know, millions of other examples how countries disregard the rules of law, how people disregard, how companies disregard the rule of law. And what I'm known for saying is that, you know, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're right or whether you're wrong. The only thing that matters is what you're going to do about it and what the other side is going to do about it. And uh, in, in in this case, right, you, you you should look into that from from that perspective in the first place, because if you don't, it really boils down to trying to figure out the the legal logistics and legal logistics only matter if the matter ends up in court and then gets appealed. And then we get a final decision, which in 99.9% .9 of the cases will never happen. So, and it's not just is about this, that. Is this going to be a Supreme Court 
What's that? Andre, is this going to be like a Supreme Court thing? Like, do they need to like subpoena him or like serve him like through a processor in order for uh, him to be official? Like you get an email like this. Can you just ignore it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, right? Like um, if they were going to be serious, they would go get a processor. They would file what you call it an affidavit in this case. Well, I, I mean, know. look, uh, I have, I have a, I have a, I have a good lawyer friend and he's got a great saying. He says, yeah, he, he says it like this. Uh, people who want to litigate, they take you to court. People who want to threaten litigation, they send demand letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, so you think uh, this is a scare tactic? Who yeah. tweet is just, they're, they're being bullies. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, because look, uh, again, going, going back to whether they're right or whether they're wrong, even that is questionable because... Um, so it's pretty clear with the names by themselves, right? Uh, you can use other companies' names, even if they're trademarked, when you write about those companies, when you write about their products, not in a way to compete with them, right? So if you're writing an article about how good or how bad an iPhone is, Apple cannot do anything to stop you from using the word iPhone or the, the word Apple in it, uh, simply because you are telling the story about the product, about the company, and there's no way you can do that without mentioning their trademark name, right? So trademarks, uh, there's only trademark infringement when you are using the trademark and using is a, is a legal term, uh, which means that you have to be, uh, putting that name uh, either in your advertising or on own products that you are making available uh, to to the public, right? So if you are reselling s something, right, that that could be trademark use unless you're reselling a, a legitimate product. Uh, if you're advertising something to compete with them under their brand name, that's trademark use. But when you're just talking about how good or how bad they are, that's not trademark use. It's not actionable. You can't really do anything with it. So so that's with names. Right. There is there. There are two 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 lines of thought about whether logos fall in the same uh, exception. Because in theory, you don't need to show the logo to talk about the product. And so, one group of people says because you don't need to show the logo to talk about the product, then when you use the logo, that could be deemed trademark infringement. And some people say, well, it's still not trademark use and still, and since it's not use, it cannot be infringement. So it can go both ways, but really the, the, all of this, the legal stuff matters much less than what Hootsuite lawyers decided to do about it. And uh, what they decided to do about it is they look into that and like, hey, let's send a letter to Ian because we're big guys. We have the money to pay lawyers to, you know, to, to write letters and maybe take Ian to court. Uh, and uh, they wanted to, you know, they sent the, 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 the usual boilerplate template. Uh, and um, I don't think that was a very smart decision given how much, how, how big Ian's audience is and uh, what really uh, can backfire out of this. So again, it's, it's never about the law. It's about the, the optics of it. And the, and, and, here, and here's the other thing. Um, even if they do take him to court, let's say they do take him to court. Okay. Uh, and let's say they go through the entire process of litigation. Uh, and, uh, even let's say the judge agrees that 
and by posting that article infringed on their trademark rights, which I don't think they would. But let's say that did happen. Then there's always a question of damages, right? How much money does uh, Ian need to pay? And that has to be proportionate to the loss uh, that uh, Hootsuite sustained as a result of that article, not from the perspective of the, the bad stuff that Ian mentioned in the article, but from the perspective of him using their logo. And uh, that would be negligible. So um, <laughs> imagine, imagine they actually went to court for that. They would like, I think Ian could leverage that so much. It's a marvelous <laughs> effect. Right. Uh, what, what's that? Say it, again. It, it's a barbarous Streisand effect, right? Or or Streisand? What what? I don't know how you pronounce her last Barbara name. Streisand. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a barbarous Streisand effect. There's, so guys, uh, for, yeah, for the, who's who don't know that that she was trying to get some photos off the internet, and then by doing that, it made the photos even more famous. That, oh, that's that's right. what they call the bar, barbarous Streisand effect. Right. right. So uh, if Hootsuite wanted to preserve their reputation and their brand integrity by sending that letter, I think what they've accomplished is exactly the opposite. The opposite. Okay. Yeah. So I got to, I got to ask you this one here, Andre, because we've got marketers and content creators that watch and listen to this show, right? So let's talk about this. Option one was Ian could have just ignored the, the email completely, right? They're, they're claiming that uh, Ian violated their brand assets terms of service. So option A is he could have just ignored it and just continued on his business. Option B, I assume, is he could have responded and said, actually, Hootsuite, I'm following fair use by the definition of it. This is commentary and, and criticism. Would that be another for a second? Comment and criticism applies to copyright. It doesn't really apply to trademarks. Okay. Yeah. And did they specifically say trademark in this? Let's see. I don't. Yeah. They say the free of our brand assets, but they say, yeah. uh, and that's a trademark term. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they used the, the, they were, he put in quote, they, he, that he violated their brand assets. So anytime you're using a logo from a company, I always look up to find like their, their best version of their logo. You can look up brand guidelines, like, you know, XYZ brand name, like I write Apple brand guidelines, and I can go to their page on their website and they explain how to use their brand guidelines. We have it as well on web friendly. So in that case, Andre, do, do, can you really comment on that? On like the yeah, use of brand so guidelines? It's, it's a great point. So there, there are several layers here, right? One, there's law, what you can actually enforce by law, by virtue of you having legal rights to the trademark, right? That's one thing. Then companies, some, some companies do create those terms, how the public is allowed to use their assets because by law, if you own the trademark, if you've got exclusive rights to the use of that trademark, nobody can use your brand. Again, use from the trademark perspective, and uh, I already mentioned that. Uh, but if you are, right, they say, okay, even though nobody can use without our permission, here's our permission to you, dear world, how you can use our brand assets in order for you to feel safe that you're not violating our legal rights. Right. But they can't make those terms more onerous for the public than what the public can do without those terms. Right. So if by law they can't pre prevent Ian from using that logo, if law cannot do that, them coming up with 
terms of service that say you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to jump and you got to, you know, they can't do it. That's one thing that can be safely ignored unless he he gets some additional value out of Hootsuite and that's a contract, right? If it's not a contract, then there's nothing they can do about it. Like if he was like, if he was a brand ambassador working with them, then of mm-hmm. course they could say, Hey, yo, if you want to work with us, you've got to follow our brand guidelines. Yeah. And that's right? fine. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if there, if, if there, if there's a two sided agreement, if he gets something out of it and they put conditions to that, yeah, that, that then it's perfectly enforceable as a contract. Yeah. I've had things like with our brand, like I hate when people write web friendly as one word, capital W and then friendly. And then I, you know, I don't get my legal team involved. I just message them and say, yo, web friendly is two words, capital W, capital F. Don't mess it up. Yeah. Right. We do the same thing. We have it like with our logo. It's like, there's gotta be certain spacing around the logo when you use it and certain colors that we want you to use, but it's never like a, a legal enforcement. It's just like, Hey, yo, like, yeah. you, you know, fix this up, you know, it's cool. So so ultimately, the solution here is that if you get a letter like this, or sorry, I should say, if you get an email like this, just ignore it? Um, again, really boils down to what you want to do about it and how important that is to you, right? So if it's something, if it's somebody like Ian, right, who's got an audience and who knew that he can make this post go viral, he knew that he could gather some attention to it and what i think he did was exactly the right thing right so on the one hand he put it out there he told the world uh how how big of a the legal department from hootsuit really was right but on the other hand he did remove the the logo from the post so in theory right he's complied with their with their demands so i think that was a perfect response on his on his front, because he, he really didn't care whether the logo is there or isn't there, right? It wasn't the reason why he put out the put out the article. Uh, so him removing it didn't cost him anything, and he got extra value by making the the thing public. Uh, so th- this is one thing. If you don't have that much of an audience, uh, then it really boils down to what are you getting out of it, right? And maybe you should comply with the bully, maybe you shouldn't. really depends on uh, what if the bully keeps at it? What if they do take you to court? Do, are you willing to fight or are you going to surrender then? Or, you know, is there a way for you to uh, let the world know, you know, there's a lot of those organizations like TechCrunch and uh, uh, EFF. Uh, they they love stories like this when big companies attack little guys for no good reason, right? And that's one way today to confront this, even if you don't personally have a big audience, is like, hey, look what they're doing, right? Uh, but I feel like he would get a lot of attention. Like, it, it seems... I cannot imagine if if Hootsuite would actually take somebody to court. You know, when I was looking into the story and I was typing in Hootsuite lawsuit or sues or whatever, I noticed that they actually have had a lot of lawsuits. They do have a legal team on retainer who's probably just out there just looking for work. You know, so they're just out there yeah. like, who can we mess with? Because they're, they're billing Hootsuite by the hour and they're just... I mean, they got to justify their existence. Yeah, right. And so they, they've had lawsuits and I was looking into some, we won't get into them, you know, like for whatever reason, some they drops, people are suing them, they're suing other people. It's kind of weird, but like, I just can't imagine who to be actually taking somebody to court. 
Well, here, here, here are the official statistics. 97% of all lawsuits settle before they're heard by the judge, and, you know, before the judge has a chance to issue the final decision, right? So um, in most cases, you never really know what was the right and the wrong thing to do because people settle in the middle and really the the all the legal paperwork is just a way to force people to settle so um you know that's that's how that's how law Andre, works. What, what do you think about if they really want to bully people and they just put them through litigation let's say they do start filing court documents and now you do have to respond and so on right like that alone could be annoying yeah right? you think that that's something they could be doing just to mess with people like knowing they're not going to actually go all the way. They just want to mess with you and they just start actually it's sending extremely files. Diff- and- so in theory, in theory, as a defense, you can claim, you, you can ask the court to throw it out if you can prove that it's a vexatious claim that they're only doing to mess with people uh, without it having any real chance of success. But it's oh, extremely difficult to prove that in court. So in, in, in most cases, as long as they have uh, at least some color of right, it will not be thrown out of court. And so in this case, it wouldn't be. So if they did decide to sue in in court uh, and he said, uh, you know, they're not good people, they're attacking me for no good reason, the judge would say, yeah, well, we'll figure it out in court, you know, in trial. All right, right, so, right. yeah, if they did want to pursue this, uh, they, they, they could, right. Again, I don't think they would win. And even if they did win, I don't see how they would the, get, yeah, uh, the damage to their public perception, like the, the public opinion matters and yeah. the, the, the permanent damage they risk to their brand. I can imagine they would just want to close, close this case up super fast and move on. Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, you know, today, uh, when everything is public and when everything can get public very quickly, uh, you have to be very careful about how you enforce your rights. And actually, I, w- I want to say it the other way around because, you know, I, I, I'm a founder and a CEO of a trademarking company. So what we do is we help companies create those rights, right? Protect their trademarking rights. And I, w- I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that it's okay for other people to steal other people's IP. It's not, right? Uh, but you have to be very smart and only go after people who actually, you know, create confusion on the marketplace by using a brand similar to yours to sell products or services that are similar to yours. In that case, there's nothing wrong, nothing unethical with you using all powers you got by the law to attack them, go to court and, you know, sue them into stone mm-hmm. age. You should protect your assets. But, uh, when it comes to stuff like this, it's, you know, uh, you just have to, you know, uh, you, you have to, uh, get a little bit more, uh, adult, I guess. And, uh, you know, not, not be triggered by people, you know, saying things that you may not want to hear and say, okay, how can we go after them? Well, let's, let's sue them for trademark infringement. That's not, that's not right. I think they should have messaged him and said, Hey, Ian, really appreciate your post. You got some negative stuff. You got some positive stuff about us. 
we just have this issue with how you're using our logo over here. Would you mind adjusting it? Like yeah. that, that would have just been a polite, like, cool, cool. Like I think Ian would have been for sure. Like if they messaged me like that, I'd be like, sure. Not like I would respect yeah. their brand. I actually, I actually, I do respect Hootsuite as a business, as a company. And I, you know, Ryan Holmes, he's from Vancouver who started it. It's a Vancouver based thing. I got mad respect for him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if they ever messaged me and said, Hey, would you mind doing this? I'd be like, cool, no problem. But when they start coming at you with lawyers, which I bet, the Hootsuite marketing department and the legal department are not communicating, you know? So this legal department is out there just looking for things to bill. That's probably what's going on. And they yeah, got to maybe I, be put in I, check. I, 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 would, I would guess that that's the case. I mean, as the company grows, uh, very rarely would, you know, everyone in the marketing know what the legal is doing. Yeah, no way. And Andre, you brought up an important point that I want to just touch on uh, before we wrap up here is the purpose of a trademark. You, mm -hmm. you just touched on it, but the purpose of, of a trademark, from what I understand and what you've, you, what you've taught me about this, is it's it's about not it's about um, avoiding confusion in the marketplace. So when yeah. somebody hears um, this brand name, they know that that is you know that it, that belongs to this brand. And so when you're using someone's logo and name, and it's making it seem like they're associated to you or that you are that brand. Yeah. That's when issues come into place, right? Exactly. Like I would imagine if we put like a Hootsuite watermark on all of our videos, that would definitely be an infringement of trademark because people would watch it and think that we're somehow associated to Hootsuite. Yeah, right? if if and, and there is a risk of the people thinking that you know the video or whatever products or services you offer are come from Hootsuite, endorsed by Hootsuite, or associated with that's right Hootsuite. They're in the right to prevent that because they have no control over what you do. You know how the people, how the public perceives what you know your your, your products and services, and that's the proper reason why the legal department should be involved, right? And you're absolutely right, right? Uh, if if it, it, it at first you don't need to to get lawyers involved, you can, especially with you know public personas like Ian, right? You could send a quick message say, hey. You know, you may not realize this, but this is actually, this goes against our terms, blah, blah, blah. Would you mind removing? And if he ignores them or tells them to go after themselves, at that point, you can get lawyers involved and see, you know, how far you can take that. But it always goes back to, will the, is there a risk that the, 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 the public would be confused into thinking that what they're, what they're getting is somehow endorsed by or connected with the, uh, right. the brand owner. Cool. Uh, Andre, um, I just want to give a shout out to you. I know Andrew's got, I want to give you a shout out to, uh, for, for the listeners who are watching, uh, I own the trademark for web friendly. I've owned it now for several years. I think we got it back in like 2015 or 2016. Mm -hmm. Andre helped me do that. Andre's a founder of trademarkfactory.com. You guys, if you guys want a trademark, um, it is by far the best place to go. It's the only place that's going to guarantee you get the trademark or your money back, or you could roll it into another trademark, but they're going to assure that you can actually get the trademark because you go through lawyers they'll just charge you hourly and they'll tell you yeah you can get this trademark but really it's just not something that's really trademarkable andre also has a youtube channel let's link it up um in the uh in the uh what do you call those and the mm -hmm. cards or whatever you guys can go check out he's got a whole bunch of resources um uh, if you guys want to learn about trademarks everything i know about trademarks literally everything i know about <laughs> trademarks i learned through andre and working with andre um and andrew's also I think Andrew probably heard about Andre through me, I'm guessing. And, uh, and this is the first time that they've met. 
And uh, Andrew's also in the process of, of getting some trademarks through Andre's company as well. So yeah, I didn't a, even realize that until we got to the <laughs> we got to the, the interview. It's yeah. pretty cool. Just, yeah. yeah, just to echo, I mean, Andre and I have like come across each other back in my Vancouver days. But yeah, you and I have never had a chance to really connect and and uh, and swap battle stories or anything. But yeah, I did launch a full service YouTube agency in January, and I did not hesitate. Uh, I actually, I, I because I had left Vancouver years ago. I my bad, totally forgot about Trademark Factory. Totally forgot about you guys. And then uh, Matt, remi- Matt reminded me. I'm like, oh yeah, geez, what am I doing? So like, when I, I contacted your company right away and got the ball rolling and got the uh, trademark uh, uh, submitted, uh, the application submitted in Canada and the US. It's a very time-consuming process. I've definitely been educated from all your content, Andre. You do great work. I can only imagine the the, uh, the amount of business professionals out there that can sleep at night because you do what you do. It, I, I know it, I sound like I'm blowing smoke up your butt, but it's, it's true because I'm enjoying it. I, I didn't realize that you could spend <laughs> you could you could spend all this time, money, and effort building a brand. You could have the dot com. You could have the social media. You could have, you could spend years building a brand, and then someone swoops in and gets the trademark, and then sends you a cease and desist. And when I learned that from your content, that scared the bejesus out of me. And I was like. I am not doing anything else until I get the ball rolling with with uh, trademark factory. So I got huge props for you guys. I think you do great work. Thanks. You know what, guys? I got to mention this. There's there's been two things that having the web friendly trademark um, has like legitimately helped me with. One is I got the dot com. So I was negotiating with the owners of the dot com for years. They started at over twenty thousand dollars. I ended up getting the dot com for I think five thousand dollars because I told them. I learned from Andre. I have the trademark. You cannot sell this name to anybody but me. And so we, I brought them down for 20000 down to, I think it was 5000 And the other one was if you want a username on a social media account. So on Pinterest, somebody else had, had registered pinterest.com slash web friendly, but it was not being used. So I went through their help section into trademark infringement and I filed, uh, uh, I put in a form. I showed them I own the trademark for web friendly. Within a week, they gave me back the name. I was just talking to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Monica, who owns the trademark, which she got through you, which was Collagen Babe. Mm-hmm. Her account, her Instagram account got hacked. Wow. So she's been trying to follow the process to get it back. And, and, and then the account that got hacked has been messaging me. So I was like, hey, you should really do something about this. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I said, well, go to this help section, which is about trademark infringement, and, um, and tell them that you own the trademark for Collagen Babe. So she's now in that process. So I'm sure we're going to hear back from her within a you know a week or so that she'll get that that uh, username back. So that's just two instances of how I've actually used a trademark uh, to protect my brand. Cool. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Thank you, Andre, uh, for for coming on the show with us, and uh, let's get on to the next story. All right. Thanks All right. for having me. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Andre. All right. Uh, so Etsy sellers are on strike and petitioning some of the changes that's going on at Etsy. So rising fees, <laughs> it's not just rising fees, actually. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. when I first, okay, I saw um, a friend of mine uh, post this on Facebook, uh, this petition, I got it up on my screen here and now has 84,000 signatures and uh, their goal is to get to a hundred thousand signatures, which is crazy that they're getting this many signatures on this. So when I first looked into this, I thought it was pretty silly because they were talking about this 30% increase in fees and 30% does sound like a lot, but I found out that it's a 30% increase from their previous um, fee. So oh. the actual increase, it was like 
like 1.2% or something like that. It was a very oh, small increase. Oh. I'm trying to find it now. What, what the actual, so it was like, well, you, you what? caught it. I didn't. I totally missed out on that. I thought it was a 30% yeah, well, increase. <laughs> yeah. When I first saw 30%, I was like, damn, that's, that's quite a bit. But then yeah. I was like, it's 30% higher than what it was before. Gotcha. Um, but there's a little bit more to this story. All right. So I'm scrolling down here. This is what's going on. So first of all, so this is on coworker.org, um, the petition. Um, I usually say never sign petitions because yeah. we talked about that in a previous from, episode. Yeah. But in this case, if Etsy's seeing 100,000 people signing, I'm, I think that this is putting pressure on a company like, like Etsy. So in this case, I would say maybe, maybe sign the petition. I don't, I don't know what coworker.org is. But they also have EtsyStrike.org. And this is the website dedicated to the strike. Um, originally, I thought the keyword around this would be like Etsy petition. But that's not what it is. It's a, it's a strike. So they're like refusing to sell on Etsy. Wow. And when I got into the story, so originally when I saw this fee increase, and I was like, this is like a 1% increase. I was like, come on, guys. There's a bunch of Karens out here. But then I found out what's really going on here. So here is their demands, okay? They want to cancel the fee increase, which, uh, whatever. I think fee increase, I think it's fine. I, I'm not. I'm not against the fee increase. Okay? As long as it's reasonable. I mean, we are dealing with crazy inflation rates. Blah blah inflation, blah. There, there, blah, are, blah. there are reasons for fee increases as long as it's reasonable, right? That's right. And and again, also like if they're doing like the payment processing, I don't know if Etsy does that, but like typically, use payment processors are charging like three percent. You know, yeah. So I don't know exactly all what what everything that Etsy offers in this case, but their fee is damn. I swear it was on here somewhere. It was like so. It says a fifteen percent fee is charged to sellers who have never earned more than ten thousand dollars in a year, and these sellers are allowed to opt out of of a program. Oh, it's for um, um, offsite ads to uh, promote your products. Oh, okay. So that's only if if they're running ads for your products. They are charging you a fee, which is cool. That's fine. If you sell over 10000 or sorry, what is that? So it says, other sellers pay 12% and are not allowed to opt out. Oh, I see, I see. So if, you're over, if you sell over 10000 in product, then you're paying 12%. You cannot opt out. So it's a tiered system. Okay. Yeah. It says, thanks to offsite ads, Etsy fees are an unpredictable expense that could take more than 20% of each transaction. That's a lot. Because these are Etsy sellers are selling, um, well, are supposed to be selling handcrafted physical goods. That's my understanding. So, yeah, I've never been on it. Yeah. But, so yeah. now what's, what's happening, which is the rest of these points on their demands, I, I agree. So they're saying crack down on resellers with a comprehensive plan that is transparent. So sellers can hold Etsy accountable. So what's happening is people are not making handcrafted things. They're buying stuff from China or from wherever, and they're yeah. just reselling these products. So Etsy is supposed to be a marketplace for people to craft goods, right? I agree with this completely. So I guess it's been going on for a while. Etsy's saying, yeah, we're trying to crack down on it, but there's no real plan or they're not explaining the plan. So this, I agree with 100% that Etsy's community is about... Um, crafting uh, products, right? And not resellers. I've actually also seen people reselling merch, like YouTuber merch. Oh, yeah. You know, people do launches or whatever and they resell that stuff on Etsy. I see that all the time. I've also seen them um, actually rip off, uh, uh, rip off um, YouTubers' merch 
make their own version of it, you know, using their brand assets and their logos and their, their trademarks and then Brutal. selling it on Etsy, Brutal. which is also, is technically that's illegal, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's an infringement on their trademark, right? 100%. And this yeah. here, number three is give golden support tickets to sellers affected by extreme AI actions, account terminations, and 45 to 90 day holdings on their funds. This is the biggest thing. People are, are, are I, I, what I've noticed, I watched some videos about this, people are the mostly furious about the lack of support. And they're saying to give a golden ticket, in, in meaning that if, if you're a seller, you sold over 10,000 in products, something happens to your account, your account's terminated, you're not being paid for 45 to 90 days, like answer in a day. I think that's completely reasonable. And I'm surprised that Etsy is not like, hell yeah, you know what, guys, that's a great idea. So- you know? do, do I understand you correctly? Uh, and really quick segue here. Um, yeah. I, I'm right in the middle of a huge thunderstorm. So dude, oh, if, okay, I, okay. if I lose my internet, hey, that's how it goes. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, <laughs> okay. It, just, it just like it's the show. The show will go on. Show's going to okay. go on. I'm just letting you know. Okay. So anyways. Hey, uh, Andrew, sorry. Before you ask your questions, I just want to get through the demands that they're asking. Because we okay. got the... Uh, yeah, keep going. So we keep got going. The, they want to cancel the, 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 the increase in fee, which... I'm not so on board with. They want to crack down on resellers who are selling products that are not, um, you know, uh, handmade stuff. They want better support if their account gets terminated. They don't want their, mo their money being held for 45 to 90 days. They want to end the star seller program, which I don't know what that is yet. Let's look into that. And they want to give all sellers the ability to opt out of offsite ads, which makes sense. If your margin is going to be taken up up to 20%, you don't want that. You rather just have your products on Etsy and do your own marketing and so on. You should be able to do that. So those are the five things. Um, I don't know what the star seller program here is. A passive aggressive effort to influencer sellers' behaviors are counterproductive and result in a worse customer experience rather than making us mad at buyers who leave glowing four-star reviews or making us feel that we can no longer offer letter class shipments on items like cards and stickers, Etsy should leave us to individually do the best we can for each and every customer. Oh, yeah, I don't see. I don't know what the star seller program. I guess what it I, is, is what you, do you know? What I, I was just going to read further up in the same article there, dude. Uh, it says it's yeah. a bizarre, the star seller program is a bizarre attempt to micromanage the terms of our engagement with our buyers and audiences. Meanwhile, Etsy sellers routinely report waiting, we waiting weeks or months for res uh, responses to urgent Etsy support tickets. This sounds like a huge, huge support issue at the end of the day. You know what? I got it up on my screen here. So it's Etsy.com slash star seller. So it's a star seller is a way to recognize and reward Etsy sellers who consistently provide an excellent customer experience. So what they're saying is that if you get a lot of really good uh, reviews, you're going to be rewarded uh, probably in some way on, on the website. And so they're saying, hey, end this because, um, you know, we can't, all, not everyone can always be getting five stars. So basically they're not getting really good reviews. Oh. They're being demoted on the platform, I guess, or or they have to do so much more to try to like um, get that that star seller status. And they're saying, you know, enough is enough. Let's uh, leave this. So gotcha. you can see this he headline here on, uh, on The Verge. This is Etsy hit sellers with 30% transaction fee increase, which is a very misleading statement. Yeah. It's not 30% yeah. transaction fee. It's like, it's an increase. So it says right here on the headline, there it is. Seller fees on sales go from 5% to 6.5%. Mm -hmm. So it's like a 1.5% increase, which is, I don't think that's crazy, but I don't think that's the main issue. I think it's a support issue. So yeah. what's your thoughts here, Andrew? 
Well, I've never used Etsy and I feel for anyone. I think I mentioned this in the last uh, episode that I, I fully support any anyone's ability to create additional revenue streams. And I've, I have had conversations. In fact, once, once upon a time when I did have a, a YouTube podcast interview show, I, I actually interviewed uh, someone who generated a, a significant sum of her uh, income from Etsy. And, uh, and it, it sounds, I don't, I don't know who their direct competition is. Who is Etsy's direct competition? Because it sounds like they've got some operational challenges and I'm, I'm always the kind of person that seeks out best practices. That's, that's how I run my business. That's how I run my life. So Etsy versus Amazon, <laughs> Etsy versus Amazon. Etsy. I would say, yeah, I was going to say it was probably gonna be Amazon. Yeah. Etsy versus Shopify, Etsy versus Kajai. Never heard of them before. There's could a you- lot of different marketplaces that you could choose to sell on. So Etsy is kind of like an Amazon for like homemade goods. Homemade, right? Okay. Or ha- hand, sorry, handmade goods. Um, as an example, uh, when um, when COVID first started and there was a shortage of masks, people were making masks. Yeah. And the only place you could right. get a mask was going to be on a place like Etsy. And they sold $133 million in masks in April 2020 alone. Yeah. Right? Ima- imagine where we so, would be without Etsy then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting that, um, that, uh, you know, people are, are petitioning and, uh, and, and going on strike. I wonder if these sellers on Etsy are just like, we are not going to sell on Etsy anymore. It'll be interesting also to see Etsy's response to this, uh, to the situation, but, uh, it is blowing up right now. Um, I'm, I bet that they're going to get to a hundred thousand signatures, which is what their goal is. And uh, I think the solution for for Etsy is going to be to get into some of these demands. I think they're going to they they got to come out and say, "Look, we're going to give you the support where you know your account gets shut down. We're not going to hold your money." Um, I say they keep the fee increase. I would stick to that. And uh, and then yeah, they should put out something to uh, to stop the uh, the resellers. If um, if, any, if anything, the, we're all we're doing is highlighting the fact that that they've uh, increased their revenue dramatically thanks to the pandemic. The pandemic you just called out one of the examples of why they've been so successful over the pandemic. So Etsy is is uh, producing some pretty impressive revenue numbers and i think the uh the the users on the platform are basically just saying listen guys come on we're you wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for us like we we need our piece of the pie too that's how that's how i'm how i'm interpreting this absolutely and i think um i think they're right i think uh you know again when i first heard the story and then i realized it was like a 30 percent increase on the transaction fee i was actually planning to make fun of them on this video but then as i kind of dug into this a little bit more i was like yeah he's like because everybody loves a good bad guy (laughs) yeah i mean honestly that was my initial reaction i was like 1.5 percent like who cares you know uh it's like you know like they're doing a lot for you you know like they're giving the platform to help you sell the stuff right yeah uh but but also i should mention that that etsy has been increasing their fee over time like a little bit here and there but hey, okay. same thing. If you have an investment property, you got renters in there. You should be increasing your rent um, that you're charging every year to keep up with you know what's going on. So again, I'm not against the fee increase, but everything else that they're talking about, I'm completely on board. I think that Etsy needs to step up, and they need to uh, address the issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, if uh, if they're if they're creating things 
so toxic for their own uh, users, how the hell do they plan on staying in business? They're just the Etsy users are just going to say, well, this is costing me money at this point. I'm not making a damn thing. You're making my life uh, anxious and frustrating and stressful. So I'm just going to give up. And then and then they're going to see a huge reduction in their their user base. And uh, I mean, there, there, there's, this is a, a, a no brainer, uh, in, in my opinion, but yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Okay. In good form from, uh, our old pal Zuck, our old, our old pal Zuck meta is in the news and, uh, taking some hits, taking some, uh, some heat here for, uh, taking a 47.5% commission, almost a 50% commission, uh, in these, uh, in the, in the, in a cut of virtual assets. Um, I'm, I'm sharing my screen here with a, uh, this is in, sorry, article. let's just clarify. This is going to be in virtual assets inside the horizon metaverse. So horizon is the metaverse that that uh, that meta is creating right gotcha and so now right. they're saying that if creators are creating these virtual assets they're taking up to 47.5 percent fee from these creators it's funny how yeah. these headlines say nearly 50 percent you know it's like it's 47.5 yeah. you know just why, why why you gotta round it up like that well you know? it, it you can call it clickbait i guess if you want or you could just uh you could just i mean they're not wrong it's, it's almost 50 percent it is almost it is it is but just 47.5 yeah, you know yeah. what you this know like direct response marketing you always want that specific number right yeah so that's funny how in news and media they want they always want to round it up to an easy number right yeah yeah exactly yeah i, I think it's uh, i think these the marketers that are working with cnbc probably know that the, the human mind just likes those round numbers too um yeah so yeah we're, right. meta's not making any any fans here and i know this kind of ties into the next story that we're gonna uh, uh table for everybody as well but it's uh geez this is just like our fee episode this has turned into our fee episode because i mean it everyone is. everyone uh wants to uh record those record profits everyone wants to record those records uh, revenues and a lot of people are, are criticizing Meta over this uh, their their um, uh, monetization model because everyone's talking about Web three being a more of a decentralized future that we're all moving towards and uh, here uh, Facebook I know uh, is has been criticized for a lot of things over the last couple of years and here they are trying to get a huge huge cut out of the virtual asset sales this is this is a little painful for a lot of people to stomach. So I'm going to call a little bit of BS on this. So oh, yeah? here's my thing. Yeah, I've wanted to talk to you about this before. Let's do it on a different episode. But this, this idea of why do people hate Mark Zuckerberg, but they love Elon Musk, yeah. right? And you know, you know, this has been on our thing. Okay, let's, yeah. let's do that later. Let's, yeah. let's keep the audience hooked in. Like we're going to talk about this one day. So what I think is anytime there's news about Facebook and Meta, it's always negative, right? Yeah. The media... Yeah. It's they love accurate. to hate Facebook. Okay. So look at this. Okay. What's really going on here? This 47.5% fee. Okay. First of all, they say a meta spokesperson confirmed. Ooh. Who is the meta spokesperson? A. Okay. There's no name here. Okay. Second thing, 47.5, which is, it says includes a hardware platform fee in quotations of 30% for sales made through the MetaQuest store where they sell apps and games, right? On top of that, Horizon Worlds will charge 17.5% fee. So what I think is that these virtual things, is, they're basically NFTs that are going to be sold inside Horizons, is different. That is a 17.5% fee. But their app store is a 30% fee. So if you're selling uh, a virtual good, you're uh, based on what they wrote here. 
you're only going to be charged a 17.5% fee. If you're selling a game or an app through their, their platform, you're being charged a 30% fee. So it's not 47.5. They're two different fees. So, but I think that, that what most people are going to do though, is they're going to assume, wait a second, these fees are being passed over to the user anyways, right? Isn't that the, isn't that their monetization? They are, but they're, yeah, they, they, they are, let's just say that those are the fees, right? Okay. But the way that the headline is putting it is that the fee to sell virtual goods, they're, they are NFTs selling NFTs in the horizon metaverse is going to, they're going to take up to close to 50%. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if I sell, if I sell some virtual shoes in the metaverse and I sell them for a hundred bucks, I got to pay up, you know, 50 bucks to Facebook. That's not true. They're taking a 17.5% fee based on what they're saying here. But the way they put the headline, the way they've worded it is as if you're going to be paying a 47.5% fee to sell because, digital okay. goods. Okay, I gotcha. I'm catching up here now too because the hardware platform fee is a one-time fee of 30%. So if you're, yeah, if you go into the app store and you want to sell an app, you know, Apple was taking or is taking a 30% fee, which I also want to throw it out here because... Uh, <laughs> there has been a lot of controversy in the past about the fees that Apple is charging in the App Store. And on November 3rd, 2021, Mark Zergberg wrote on Facebook, as we build for the metaverse, we're focused on unlocking opportunities for creators to make money from their work. The 30% fee that Apple takes on transactions makes it harder to do that. So we're updating our subscriptions product so now creators can earn more. More details in the comments below. And then he goes on and talks about, he says that we're offering um, a link for creators um, for their subscription offerings. And he goes on and on about what he's going to be doing. Um, they're going to put in $1 billion investment to creators, blah, 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 which they did do. So he is clearly saying that he doesn't think that 30% is fair. So therefore, he's basically cut it in half for creators in you know selling you know things inside the metaverse it's at 17.5% if that's the real number right but then going back to the 30% fee in his app store which is also the same as apple's fee right so that's why i actually think that this is not true this is speculation and they're saying a meta spokesperson like who qualifies as a meta spokesperson who is the meta spokesperson why are they not named right and if you look over here in the article that um that meta put out on april 11th of 2022 says testing new tools for horizon worlds creators sorry testing new tools for horizon worlds creators to earn money and then they have a few ways you can make money including selling virtual items um and effects and they don't talk about the the fees but that's that's what we're talking about here so my guess is that even if this is real this is misleading headlines to try to make Facebook look bad. And so I like to stand up for Mark Zuckerberg because I think he's just hated in the media a lot. And I don't think he deserves it. I think a lot of this is being, people are framing Facebook, Meta, and Mark Zuckerberg as bad. And obviously I don't agree with everything that they do. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't want to defend everything that Facebook is doing or has done or whatever, but I just don't think that they deserve this level of criticism. And, and I think that this is just uh, trying to paint them in a bad way, um, which is not really accurate. It's not really an accurate story. I, I actually legit, before we started recording today, I legit saw on Lou later that, uh, because they were talking about Zuck as well. And apparently, apparently a lot of the current uh, employees and, and 
uh, previous employees that have recently left the company are sick and tired of Zuckerberg talking about metaverse because apparently that's all he wants to talk about. I guess that's I guess that's the reality yeah. over it. At Meta, but again, Meta right that now. just it just yeah. But again, <laughs> I heard that story too, right? But yeah. I think like that's just a bunch of and like he's 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 passionate about I think it's funny. the metaverse. I think it's funny that and people it's, yeah. But you look at like Mr. Beast when he talks about how he was obsessed with YouTube for so many years. Like, how Perfect are you going to build yeah. the metaverse if you're not? Like, to me, when I hear that story, I'm like, that's great. I believe in Mark Zuckerberg. I should buy more shares on Facebook. He's clearly really passionate about this. It's not a negative thing. These are just a bunch of <laughs> Karens. Sorry, I didn't want to swear. <laughs> you're, get, you're getting heated. Things are getting heated here. On the I, am, I am getting heated. I am getting heated because I, I, I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg deserves the amount of hate that he gets. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and these kind of headlines up here are so misleading and I am so against misleading headlines. That's, that's Most fair. people don't I mean, read the articles. When I first saw this, I thought it was legit 47.5% they were going to take off of these, um, these uh, NFTs or these virtual goods. I really thought that. Until I was like reading this paragraph here and I kind of reading between the lines, I'm like, wait a minute, there's no 47%. There's this, like, these are two different products. Yeah. It's 30% in their app store, 17.5% for virtual goods. The hardware. So there's no 47. Yeah, there's no, it's not, not the same thing. I guess what they're saying is like, let's say I build a, a game in the metaverse and then I could also be selling through my game some virtual goods, right? But there's yeah. never at one point a 47 points. Based on what they're saying, and at the that, same time, that's that's fair. You know. But that's fair. But I have to push back on you in one thing. I mean, I, I'm not going to take uh, take anything away from uh, Facebook or Meta or, or Zuckerberg as far as uh, pushing us to where we are right now and having all these conversations about virtual reality and augmented reality and and NFTs and avatars and all these really cool things. I mean, I got a VR headset. I love that stuff. I, it's an Oculus. So I mean, I'm a, oh, yeah, I'm a yeah. customer. Okay. I'm a fan, Mark. I'm a fan. But uh, yeah. I think I think where where I struggle is the the fact that there any any entity it could be Facebook it could be another entity that's trying to control the entire uh, we're trying to move away from the siloed gardens we're trying to move away from the the this Web two model where everyone all these companies and conglomerates own your data and uh, I've I've seen some of his comments about that very subject in in on these on on this point. But he, they, they do simply, they do, uh, I'm getting the, the sense that Facebook is, or Meta, I keep calling them Facebook, Meta is trying to own the entire ocean. But you don't have to own the entire ocean to have a successful business model at the end of the day. And I think moving forward, like look at what uh, uh, Elon is doing with Twitter right now. That's hu super huge news right now. Uh, right. He's, he's literally saying he's going to open source the Twitter code. Boom. Opens like that. That is a completely different model than what we're getting from Meta. <laughs> so it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens in social media marketing as, as a whole in the future. And I I love virtual reality. So and without Meta's investments into this infrastructure into the technology, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And I love it, but I do have a problem with uh, these massive enterprises trying to retain the, their control and, and influence over our private data and making us the product. Everyone loves using free resources and tools and games and whatnot. But if, if you're not paying for the service, you are the product at the end of the day. And that's, that's what I would love for us to move away from as, as, uh, as, a, as a marketplace. And they're clearly trying to yeah. hold on with their I think that, that is, yeah, that is kind of what's happening, right? I think that especially, I think, in the Europe and, and so on, they've been putting a lot more restrictions. GDPR. Uh, around and, they're GDPR a lot more and also 
cookies going away, what, cookies what going away. they did with, with Safari. So I think that it is moving towards that. And that's why Facebook has changed their model. But when it comes down to marketplaces and the fees they charge, the way that Apple has dominated the app store and charging 30% fees, and even when you're charging within your app and so on. So there's been a lot of movement in that area around, around entrepreneurs and startups and creators and the fees that were being charged to you know get our product to our customers yeah. and i think this this baseline of 30 percent that apple had set i think that's too high i think i think the 2.9 percent plus whatever it is that paypal charges for transaction fees is too high and that's being disrupted right now too right yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of why a lot of new payment platforms coming out there's wise there's um there's a few other ones what do they call it the um, the pay later things what do you call uh no you know like now you always see it it's like you can get this now and then you just do equal installments and they're not charging a transaction fee uh, i can't speak to that because i haven't tried using that but i mean i, I send transfers Those transactions the, uh, over wise all the time and i think the last time i sent a transaction it cost me 61 cents and i was like wow and it was like a few thousand bucks and i was like 61 cents <laughs> i would love more of that i mean if they just put people on subscriptions so if you're going to sell you just pay a fee 20 bucks a month whatever they got a bunch of people on subscriptions and then there's no transaction fees that would be amazing i think oh, that would yeah. be a better model um i'm not down with 30 percent, 17.5 still that's pretty high uh so um so yeah it's just interesting to see how this unfolds and uh ha, and, uh, and I'm going to be watching the story, but I just want to just throw it out again. that I do think that people need to kind of read between the lines whenever you see a story about, about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. That's a good call. That's a good call. That's a good point. I, I can back you up on that. That's, uh, you're, you're not wrong there. Right. All right. Let's move on. All right. So Andrew, I think you've brought this up before around Facebook ads and their inaccuracy. So a new study reveals why Facebook ads can miss target. Uh, so what's happening, this study... Um, came out of a university, so new research from North Carolina State University, offered some insights into why Facebook targeting, um, sorry, it says Facebook targeted advertising can sometimes be, um, uh, oh, it says here, uh, more like a wild pitch. Interesting use of words. So I dug into this, and I also dug into how they actually conducted their study and what they were doing. So what they're doing is they had, first they started with, uh, they said, uh, 14 new user accounts. And they had new people sign up for Facebook. Okay. And then, and then, um, you know, scroll through some pages, like some content and so on. Yeah. That were very targeted in terms of what they were going to be interested in. They started with 14 students and then they went up to 146 student people, student, they say, uh, participants who know that they were actually students or whatever, 146 people. And, um, they downloaded a browser extension that allowed researchers to collect data from each participant's Facebook account about their interests. Researchers then asked participants questions about the accuracy of the interests. And they found that 29.3% of the interests Facebook had listed for the study participants mm. were actually not of interest. So what they mean here is if you go onto your profile, I have mine open right now. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash ad preferences slash ad settings, I can go right here and say um, audience-based audience advertising. When I click on that, it shows what uh, what interests that are I'm being targeted on. 
So at the top of my list here is Unbounce because we were recently on their website, I mm. think, or we were talking about Unbounce. So they're probably just listening to me. And then, you know, onlinejobs.ph, I was actually just on there hiring somebody there. Riverside, we've been talking about that. Telus, I was just on. Uh, I use Telus as my internet connector. Uh, John Jonas, which is he's the founder of Online Jobs. So I guess people are now targeting me with ads based on these things. Uh, Jeff Walker's product launch formula, which is weird because we were just talking about this stuff. This goes to show that um, that Facebook does listen to you um, on your microphone because I was not searching for this stuff. <laughs> proof. There's, we got uh, proof. Yext, Yext Inc. I don't know what that is. Indochino. I have not talked about or looked at Indochino, but I have a suit been talking. There, Matt? Getting a suit? Is that, no. Is that <laughs> no, but what's funny is I, I've been talking about um, blazers and, oh. and clothing. Oh. Right. Um, agency business manager. So, uh, you know, this is a spring S P R G. I don't know what that is. Uh, so EXO benefit I have no idea what that is. So there's a lot of stuff in here. I don't know what it is and I've not That's, talked about it or anything. So that speaks to the so. ac accuracy component. And just, uh, I'm sharing my screen here too, just taking it back to this, this article. I find this pretty interesting. Uh, it says here, we also found that the study participants didn't even know that Facebook ads, Facebook's ad preference manager exists. I can, I didn't know about this until you flagged the story for me. And I That's was a right, social media all expert things, for a long time. So, yeah, all these things you can remove. So I can yeah. go through and say, I don't want to be targeted for this thing and then remove it. Right. So if I go here, I got black box social media. I don't know what that is. I could say, um, or it says the, they the point is that this, this, uh, what is it? The study? Yeah. The study reveals. Ooh, look at this. Sorry. Look at this. Look at this. This is black box social media. I have no idea what this is. It says that they uploaded or use a list to reach me. So that is actually, uh, they're not allowed. Oh um, yeah. So, because I never gave them my email list. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So they right. scrape my email address and they're targeting me with that. So I can go here. Don't allow. Wow. And then there we go. Now they can't target me allowed. Exclude um, you from ads using this list. Yeah, don't allow. Boom. And now, and now I'm done. And so I go, yes, that was helpful. And I close it. Now they can't target me anymore. So that's you very can see cool, man. how companies are targeting you on Facebook. So that's what the study did is they had people go in. I think they probably liked some pages, did some things. And then, and then they were looking at um, how accurate it was. Because it's always going to add more things um, on top of whatever it is that you're doing. So on top of this, I want to share this with you too. For the first time, I boosted the post of our uh, of our of our episode a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, ClickFunnels 2.0 episode, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And what's funny is that we got we got a good amount of engagement. You guys can see here we reached. I, it was twenty five dollars. Okay, I was like trying it out. Oh, okay, so yeah. we have one hundred and twenty one engagements, which is pretty good for twenty five bucks. We reached three point four thousand people. Okay, cool. Um, what's funny was the comments. All the comments. <laughs> One was that this is a nice picture of the men. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, uh -oh. I got Google talking in the background. Um, so Patty, thank you. Patty. Thank you, Patty. But then we got Earl Garber being like, uh, it ain't friendly. It's spam. It's inherently evil. <laughs> okay. And he goes on and on about how everyone should report this crap ASAP. <laughs> and then I got another, one, another comment. And it references wrestling, which is absolute Everybody report this crap. <laughs> and then someone else posted the picture. They're like, you paid Facebook to, sh to poop on my timeline. There's a yeah. picture of a pile of poo. It is, I'm returning the favor. I, I responded. Thank you. 
And so go spam yourself. I love your response. And then, and then someone else spam a lot. Someone else drew like a really nice picture and says, and I give a poop. Why? (laughs) And someone else wrote one a, which is probably just means that we are number one. A, yeah. Anyway, so all the this comments were all like, you're spamming you negative. And you know, the way Facebook is, they just like that. Uh, you know, people on Facebook. Um, here is like 10 angry faces. So we got some, we got 91 likes, 13 laughing, one heart, one oh my God. And then we got like 10 angry faces. So I would say so, that was 30% of the people, you know. So what? But what there was definitely some inaccurate targeting. But uh, yeah, and that's, you just beat me to it. So you're basically saying here that uh, even though you boosted the post and you would assume that because of all the data that Facebook collects from their users, that they would have only used your $25 to share this post to people that are genuinely interested in in this situation, ClickFunnels, Russell Brunson, Dan Locke, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, I chose targeting of like, I was choosing the names of digital marketers and stuff like that. It was actually a preset audience that I had from before. So it was all digital marketing people. I don't know if they're just gonna show it to us here. Let's see, what did I actually choose? There we go. It was, interest was 500 startups, content marketing, social media today, The word marketing, which is not a good one, and the word social media marketing is too general. This was like an old one that was from a while ago that I just like quickly selected. Then we have Evan Pegg and Frank Kern or AppSumo. That's what I used as the... Uh, so I think those keywords like content marketing, marketing, and social media marketing should not be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, other than that, and I like ClickFunnels is not even here. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you know. No, it's not so, even in there. You know, gotcha. Okay. Kudos, you know, I, I also didn't really go in and really optimize the audience, but at the same time, it's like, why are we getting people who clearly don't want to see this kind of content in their feed? Yes. Right. And I mean, it's not just like not accurate. It's like they're getting mad. You know? Yeah, they're actually and I also got here. Look at this. Look at the, the age demographic. Yeah. It's highly skewed to 55 to 65 plus. Wow. Highly skewed. Um, then again, I did not put an age bracket. I just said anybody in Canada and US, 18 to 65. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, so, uh, I can, on the, on the next one, I'm going to boost it and I'll be a little bit more targeted and let's see what happens. But yeah. And, and, that, and that'll I, serve to be another experiment, but going back to the survey that we were flagging for everybody just a minute ago, it, they do say, but given that many users don't even know that this information is available, Facebook is not achieving that goal. So you just went into yours right now. We saw it and you were able to delete certain interests and whatnot. So it's likely for us to assume that all of those people that were pissed off that they, they call, you know, call their content spam. It's likely that they have certain interests labeled uh, labeled by facebook that isn't even accurate and they don't know where to go to to fix the that settings that you just highlighted for everybody that's right yeah there's that it's like i find the targeting on instagram pretty good i think i get relevant ads and facebook it's pretty good um so i think it's okay Uh, what i don't like is that they target you based on um hearing what you say yeah like i know they're listening to what you're saying um, I had a, uh, dis- a debate with a friend of mine and I said, just keep saying, yeah. um, uh, cruises, 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 you know, and just be like, I want to go on a cruise, Disney cruise. And if you just keep on saying that, you're going to start seeing ads for cruises. So I actually put out a poll on, on, uh, on my Instagram story, my Facebook story, asking people if they believe that Facebook or, or they believe that ads are being targeted to them, 
um, based on what they're saying, um, talking about. And uh, it was like 99% of the people said, yeah, I think only like two people said no. Yeah. Um, so There's I think that that is a real thing. I don't know if you guys heard while I was talking now, my Google speaker just went off. And, uh, and I've wondered about that with Google. I, I don't think, I don't think that it's Google speakers listening. I don't think that's my, my feeling is, and I think it's your phone. I think, and I do think it's, it's the apps. Like I don't allow, um, the, um, uh, uh, the microphone to work on like I, I, the permissions I turn off on Facebook and I think, no, it's on now on Instagram because I sometimes send voice notes that way. But I think I turn off on Facebook, so I do think that they are listening, and and they deny it, right? There's actually stories that Facebook yeah. denies that they listen. So I think they're absolutely lying about that. So going back to some negative stories about Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg, I, I do want to point out that I think they're lying about yeah. listening to you on your phone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we, we've got enough evidence that suggests otherwise. So, we, so we've just highlighted that the inaccuracy of Facebook ads with regards to the targeting definitely is a thing we've talked about in previous episodes how all kinds of marketers are completely abandoning facebook marketing and going towards youtube because they don't have the same account shutdown issues they, don't, they just don't have the same issues and then uh, i think i think dude i think it was our first episode i think it was our first episode where i flagged the whole ad fraud issue so when you combine sh accounts being shut down ad fraud and now the inaccuracy of uh, Facebook ads. I don't like. I haven't. I haven't used a Facebook ad in a long time, and and uh, and I'm impressed that you tried the the boosted feature, man. I didn't know that until you just. Uh, well, I did know it when I saw the the link uh, prepped for this for this episode, but uh, I, I didn't even know you were going to do that. And it turned into a pretty cool test for us here to chat about because it just goes to show you that Facebook ads. Okay, there's probably a place for Facebook ads. I'm not going to deny. Like I know Frank Kern has a great Facebook ads uh, service out there, and. Uh, I mean, I believe in what Frank Kern does. I think he's he he knows his stuff, but uh, it's clearly not a perfect advertising system, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, and it was funny too. Is like that I was looking at um, if our views were going up based on how many likes we were getting. Oh yeah, and it was not. So people were just liking it, but they were not really watching the the video as much. Yeah, so we're not. Uh, we so did we're get not getting some, any benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we probably got some uh, uh, new viewers, um, but not a whole lot. Um, I think we gained like a couple subscribers last week, so nothing crazy. So people are, you know, people are headline readers, right? They read the headline, yeah. that's cool, they like it, right? Uh, we did get a whole bunch of new like Facebook page likes, which was cool, but you know, we're really trying to get more people watching the videos and subscribing and so on. So we haven't picking up though. I've been surprised at you know the the little amount we promote this the show on Spotify, and we got a bunch of subscribers on Spotify now. Oh, so really? Something's going on there. Yeah, yeah. I was, oh, I was glad about that. And our subscriber count is going up a bit on YouTube and stuff, and the watch time's going up, and yep. so the clips are doing good. Yeah. So yeah, I do want to experiment a little bit more with some, um, you know, some boosting of posts or some, you know, running some ads on Facebook for these shows, and uh, I'll fix up the the targeting, and then maybe we can do a follow up story in the future about uh, how accurate it actually worked. And uh, whether or not we're actually gaining subscribers and views from, uh, from Facebook. Love it. So, Andrew, Ahrefs, which is an SEO tool, SEO keyword research tool, is building a search engine that's going to reward and pay creators for their content. Now, this is interesting because there's been some regulations that came into place. I know that it happened in Australia, where Australia was, was wanting to, I think they're in the process of, or they did, force Google to pay the media outlets in which they're displaying their content. They're saying, hey, you're using their content in your search engine, so you should pay them for using their content to make your product what it is. 
when I first heard that, I thought it was pretty silly because it's like, you know, Google is a search engine. It's a library. You know, it's almost like, hey, if you have a library, you should pay all the authors whose books that you are lending out or something, you know? And so I think that's like kind of a silly concept, but they are doing that. I heard it was happening in Australia. I don't know what the, what the final thing was on that. And, and I heard recently that's happening now in the UK. So, you know, this is just more ways for governments to take money from these uh, uh, bigger companies and institutions. These web learn a yeah, I learned a little bit about economics. You know how when they were kind of printing out all this money, I heard like, you know, that 40% of all US dollars was printed in the last like two years. Oh, yeah. Inflation. And so what, what was happening? Yeah. So what happened was all that money was just flowing to the top. That's why Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and so on just got richer and richer. So I think that they're doing these things to tax them to, in a way, get that money back. I think that's what's going on. So they're just trying to find every excuse to like get the money back. Anyways, that, that's a little bit off topic on, on, on what we're talking about here. So that's why it's like, I think it's bad because I think it's like a really dumb idea to be, you know, uh, charging uh, Google to display content. Uh, but at the same time, I get, you know, why they're really doing it. So this is the story here. So back in, um, actually here, let me go with this one here is the first one. So back in May 27th of 2019, um, Dimitri Gerasimenko. Uh, you did a better job than I could have, man. Did I do good? Okay. He's the founder <laughs> of uh, Ahrefs. So he's at, on Twitter. He's um, at Bots Breeder. B-R-E-E-D-E-R. Yeah. Founder um, and CEO. Ahrefs yeah, is working on a general purpose search engine to compete with Google. Sounds crazy, right? But let's talk about two huge problems with Google, which they will never want to fix. Then he goes on. This is a Twitter thread. First one is obviously privacy, and it was discussed so much that I will switch to the second one, profit share. Oh, oh, sorry. I guess he's saying it was discussed so much already that we don't Pri- talk yeah, about it. with the privacy Google, issues. Yeah, Google is making a hundred billion from its search services. Imagine they suddenly implemented a 90-10 profit share model, sending ninety billion per year to publishers who create content. And that definitely got my attention. I was like, wow, that's a, what a cool model. <laughs> that would be cool. And I do think that as a competing search engine, that would definitely attract people. I, I would say, I would, I would say I would have to be in support of that. Yeah. That could have been quite a different world. Remember that banner on Wikipedia asking for donations every year? Wikipedia could probably get a few billion from its content in a profit share model. Very mm-hmm. true. And could pay people who who polish articles a decent salary. Moving on, he goes, we are, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of people who can make a living by organizing knowledge. In our imaginary world, websites might remove their paywalls since they get profit share from services, from serving some good content. And it makes sense and it makes it convenient. So people can come back. Plus, they wouldn't have to put these glamorous headlines and, and lie about Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> because they'd be getting, you know, that's what's happening is like a lot yeah. of this, these, these headlines and all this, this stuff is they need the clicks. They need the views. Yeah. It's that's their great. business yeah. model, right? That's what it is, right? We've seen how profit share on YouTube made a whole new industry of video making for a living. So why not Google would not, sh- so why, so, so, so why not Google would not share, it's weird, weird English here. Google would not share profit from ads within search results. The answer is to drive for profit. So please, investors, 
situation is actually even worse than just talking all the profits Google is showing um, scraped content on search results page more and more. So that way you don't even need to visit the website in many cases, which reduces yeah. content of authors. That's true. So and if I, you see I, people I also admit, asked. I, I didn't even notice that, to be honest with you. And like I've uh, everything he's addressed up until now, I've been aware of. And I used to work for like a Web3 company and uh, like paywalls are, are definitely a big problem. Mike, we A lot of us think micropayments are going to actually solve this. I mean, uh, he mm -hmm. calls it the YouTube example. YouTube is a fantastic example, right? But it's easier for YouTube to monetize in that way than it is for Google because it does, it's, it's, um, how do I explain this? The, like, if you find a blog on, on Google, you're, you're going to, and, and oh, maybe it's a news article from, uh, the BBC or name the, the production company. They're going to uh, give you that little taster, the first half, uh, like paragraph or whatever. And then they're going to make you pay the paywall, right? Because it's just, it's just the amount of time and effort and energy of uploading like a single document, right? Like it's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really difficult to monetize for a per use basis until micropayments become a thing. And there's lots of fantastic technologies out there that are working on this. But I will admit, when he got to this point, I was like, huh, I never thought of this. Yeah, because you do a search, so it's, it's populated there, and you don't even have to go to the person's website anymore. I'm like, damn, that sucks. I didn't even think of that so, one. So what's, so what's funny about that, we actually, at WebFriendly, we optimize for that. Because what I think, this is my, my feeling on it, is that if you could write content that would show up and that people also asked, it's a question and there's a direct answer. So the way that we write articles in our subheading is the question and then right below that is, an, is a direct answer to that question. And I also believe that that is a way to optimize for the future of voice search. Mm, so what I found yeah, is by yeah, just writing in a style that will work and people also ask, you actually end up ranking. And we do really well with our SEO. When we want to rank for an article, we do. And, and I, that's what I use as my metric. But at the same time, you're right, because then you might just get the answer, then they don't actually click through. But I think that what Google does is that when you go to people also ask, you open it up, you see your answer. I think they're kind of giving a little credit and a little bit of boost to that domain saying, okay, you guys answered the question for us. So your whole domain authority will go up. That's what I think. That's just like complete, like, um, uh, I don't want to call it conspiracy, but just like my, my feeling around how search engine optimization is working these days. Mm -hmm. So, and also they had Google AMP, which is still there. They're phasing it out. Google AMP makes it so that way on a mobile device, someone clicks on the link, there's a little lightning bolt next to it, and it loads in one second versus 10 seconds. It's similar to Facebook instant articles. And, uh, and that also makes it so it strips out uh, before it was stripping out all your ads and a lot of your images to make it a very fast loading um, mobile page. And, um, and that also keeps people on Google, right? So they're actually, they're, there's another version of your page and you can look at the URL of, a, of an AMP page and it's actually still on Google. So they're actually not technically going to your website, but it does optimize you and put you um, at the top of the search results. So it, you know, regardless, like what he's talking about here, he's got a really like this thread goes on and we'll link up this thread. Um, so if anyone wants to read this, we'll put it. Yeah, he's got some really great like thoughts that. here. And this was all done back in 2019. He's he's definitely ahead of the game on a lot of these things. That's right. And he had a follow up here. It says Ahrefs is getting this is this is a follow up that came in June 18th of 2021. So a month later. So it says Ahrefs is getting closer to publicly promoting the web search engine we are working on. In case you missed the previous announcement, the point of our search engine is to share ad revenue with content creators 90-20 with 90% going to creators. And then he has a search here for creator economy. Um, I guess that's from his actual search engine, I guess. 
but what's interesting here is that like this was from um wait a minute the first one was from 2019 oh may may of 2019 the second post is from june of 2021 yeah so that was like two years later so like um, uh yeah march 2019 to yeah so it looks like he he uh, i mean they're probably busy with development and whatnot it's it's going to be a lot of work to that was uh, now com- a year ago Google. yeah it's about a year ago since the yeah. last time he he updated about this so very interesting because um right now a lot of people have been switching over to like DuckDuckGo if you know about that so people no. are moving over to uh to that as a as their choice I think I would support um, something like this. Um, yeah. Especially if it's paying out creators and it's going to stop a lot of the misinformation and these headlines and so on. I would prefer to see content in that way. Um, what do you think? Would you, would you, would you switch? What, what, what are your thoughts here? Ultimately, everyone's going to need to be using a search engine that's going to get them to, uh, the information that they're looking for. So I think, I mean, I, I applaud uh, Dimitro, Dimitro. I applaud him for, for his vision and for his outlook and all like, he's definitely on the right page. And I, I would love to see Google paying attention to what he's saying here, but he, if he can, if he can deliver, if he can deliver on a search engine that actually delivers on, uh, on the value that everyone needs from a search engine, then Damn, like I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, As a digital marketer, it's hard to switch to another search engine because I always need to see what Google is doing. Yeah. Because I'm always optimizing for Google. And, yeah, and I'm uh, a YouTube guy, so I'm always optimizing for Google through association. Yeah. So for, as marketers, I think it might be hard, but as like a regular consumer, I think it'd be cool to be able to like support creators and, and that sort of thing. I think that it would it would be even more so if you're like the way he was talking about how news outlets having paywalls and that sort of thing, like that kind of stuff, like to like fix, I want to call it misinformation and all that kind of stuff. If it could, if it had that promise, I would be way more on board to say, I'm going to make the switch. Um, yeah, that's kind of my feeling on, 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 on it. Um, yeah. That's, that's more important to me I, I than think this idea of like paying. I, I don't know how realistic uh, that AHFs, will and i probably butchered the name again but uh i don't know how, no, realistic, how you say it, it is how you say. yeah I, I don't know how realistic of them actually becoming an actual competitor of google i think just uh knowing knowing google's history and whatnot i think if they did gain any traction google might just come gobble them up and buy them or whatnot um well because the, the whole thing the, the whole thing is like an opposite of google i don't think that google would buy them i don't think they'd be willing to sell to google yeah right I could see them selling to like an Elon Musk, you know, someone who's going to like, you know, continue the the vision, right? Yeah, Elon Musk, perfect example, and someone who clearly has the the funds and the and the uh, the desire. To imagine do that. Like that. Imagine that if uh, if they launch it, it does a little well, and Elon Musk goes, "I love it." Yeah, endorses it, he would blow up. Anything, anything so, possible. Yeah, I, I and I've seen. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's people like this that really do force Google to pay attention. Like, uh, uh, I'm just going to use his next comment here as the example. I was happy to see that Google now allows Android users to choose the search engine they use by default. Sad that it was done only after the European Commission fined Google 4.34 billion euros for breaching the EU antitrust rules. But I think it's people, it's these kinds of governing rules and people like Dimitro that is really going to end up forcing Google to 
implement some changes. I think uh, I think that's much more feasible, uh, lower-hanging lower fruit for the existing authority platform that everyone is already conditioned to use to make some changes so that the uh, the content creators and the and the uh, uh, the websites actually receive their fair compensation for adding value to the, the search engine. Mm-hmm. Well, not adding value I'm to also, the search engine. You know what I mean? Right. But we're seeing a lot of like companies or like industries that we thought could never be um, um, tapped into are being like, for example, like, even seeing like Tesla, Tesla was like the first company since like GM or something like that to like sell a certain amount of cars, you know, like they, they changed the industry. Uh, I talked about this before with like ghost CMS and kind of how like WordPress has been the dominating CMS for so long. And now seeing more CMSs pop up as like, you know, website builders are popping up. Um, and now ClickFunnels possibly being a website builder. So I am seeing there's going to be a lot more disruption, disruption in these yeah. industries that are so dominated, right? Even looking at like Facebook, people are talking about like TikTok could be like a real competitor to Facebook in general, right? Not just like kind of being another social platform like a Snapchat or a Twitter, but like people moving from Facebook into, into TikTok. Um, so that's why I do think that there is some some legs on on this on this uh, on this invention on the startup he, that he's got going. I don't know and, if you saw yeah. that his last comment on the other uh, Twitter thread. He says, "P.S. Facebook, P.S. Facebook and some other platforms could have profit share models too. A lot of opportunities for someone willing to challenge the status quo." He's basically calling out all these massive platforms and saying, "Guys, there's a better way. Like, pay attention. Listen up. This is what we want." <laughs> Yeah, we talked a lot about this on the last episode about all these funds that from all these platforms they're putting out. So um, I'm totally on board. What would be interesting is that if Google sees the success of this and they just start offering that because they're already being regulated in Australia and the UK. So maybe they're just like, hey, you know what? Yeah, you could. Here's the if answer. You, if you have a certain, yeah. yeah, if you're a creator, you you have this sort of status on YouTube, or whatever, like, or you're a publisher and at certain levels, you know, you have a certain amount of views, and yeah, you become part. Just like what they do with like AdSense as an example, right? The way they pay out um, um, uh, ad dollars if you have your if 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 they could run ads on your site that's what adsense is right so who knows um it'd be very interesting to see how this develops and it's been a year since we've heard an update so maybe dimitri will see this video and uh, give us an update on what's happening with his search engine so samrush acquired the seo training website backlinko that's brian dean's uh, uh baby that he created so brian dean is a very well respected uh seo expert publisher and course creator um, anytime I'm looking for how to do something with SEO, I usually go to Backlinko first. Um, that's where I get a lot of information. If you really dig into a site, he's got like articles and like these like, but they're like guides with like multiple um, uh, resources and descriptions and like everything you need to know about SEO. You just go to Backlinko. Tools. It's like yeah, literally gotcha. the only, yeah, he's literally the only place that you need to go to like learn SEO. He's also got a YouTube channel. He's had a lot of studies and so on. Uh, is really great. The reason I want to bring this up is because in our previous episode, when we were talking about how ClickFunnels has really gone all in on education, not just on how to use their tool, but on on marketing and how to use, you know, how to build sales funnels and so on. So Sam's Rush uh, acquisition of Backlinko is showing that that's what they're doing. I think they're they're looking at how do we get more education, how do we add more value to our users when we look at. And by the way, for our listeners uh, who don't know about SEMrush, so SEMrush and Ahrefs are the two biggest players for 
SEO tools for doing keyword research to know uh, what you could rank for on Google and like, you know, what, what to target. Um, they give you a lot of data points. There's a lot more that, that you could do with both tools. Um, uh, I, I gear, I, I, I'm more into the SEMrush. I like SEMrush. I've used Ahrefs. It's also very good. They have very different um, models. So SEMrush uh, uses affiliates and you can sign up as an affiliate and people promote it. Uh, Ahrefs doesn't believe in affiliates, so they don't have an affiliate program. So that's why you see SEMrush. I think they get a lot more uh, traction. Ahrefs has recently been raising their prices and a lot of people don't like how they raise their prices and, and the direction that they're going. Uh, I think SEMrush has been pretty steady on their pricing as far as I know. So. If you go now, uh, oh, sorry, sir. First of all, they put out this, this press release came out in, uh, in January of 2022 around, uh, their acquisition of Backlinko. Um, it, they say here it's going to add up to 500,000, um, additional monthly, uh, visitors. To, um, I go, I guess that's how much visitors Backlinko had was 500,000 a month. Um, so Backlinko, in terms of the keywords that they targeted and what they get, like they're competing against the Hootsuites. And the um, the uh, HubSpot and uh, and even Ahrefs in these articles about SEO, they put together some really good content. Okay, I tried to look into how much they actually paid uh, Brian Dean, but they did not disclose that. That's for sure. I was um, I was interested to hear what you had to say about this because I haven't used Backlinko or SEMrush, and I keep calling it SEMrush, even though you educated me on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. I used to always call it SEMrush. I only recently discovered they actually pronounce it SEMrush. Yeah. So. So Backlinko is not so much a tool. It's more of online courses. They sell online courses and they have a, okay. he has a blog that gets a lot of traffic. It's a, it's a very well-respected SEO blog. So in addition, I saw that uh, Brian Dean. So if you go to um, SEMrush, so it's S-E-M-Rush.com slash academy, um, they have a whole bunch of free courses now that are awesome. And so uh, Brian Dean just put out this new course around mas mastering digital PR. It just put it out like last week. It was funny. I was checking my emails at the gym. I saw it and I signed up and I started going through the whole course while I was at the gym. It was actually okay. a really good course. Wow. It was a good course. Like I think if I would have paid for the course, I would be happy with it. It was a good course. Really? And uh, the, yeah, it was really good. So they got a whole bunch of courses. They have uh, a certification exam here. Let's see. Do, do people pay for that? No, I think it's just like Hootsuite. Uh, sorry, not Hootsuite. Uh, HubSpot. How they have all this uh, education you get certified through HubSpot. Very I cool. find that their education is kind of boring. I was very hard to get through it. Whereas I was just going through this one course on, on SEMrush and I was like, this is cool. Um, so I'm very happy about this. And, um, and so if you guys, if anyone's listening, you guys want to get into SEO, you want to learn SEO. Um, I think this is probably the best resource right now, considering it's free. I think all these, I'm just looking down, like they're all free courses. I'm going to take um, some of these courses and, and I'll probably get some of my team members, my, my employees to take some of these courses too. To be absolutely. Look at this. Like there's a SEMrush site audit course, technical SEO course. Uh, it goes on, right? Uh, and now they're putting these, these courses that Brian Dean created. He says content led SEO with Brian Dean. And they got the mastering digital PR with Brian Dean. Um, there's other, other instructors uh, in here as well, but they're all free courses. And, um, yeah. I That's think, very uh, cool, man. Yeah, thanks out. for flagging this because yeah. yeah, I, I didn't yeah. know any any of this when you uh, when you brought it up. This is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm all we'll for link education. It up in, the, in the description, in the description, if you guys want to check it out. All right, last story, Andrew. I thought this was interesting. Uh, it's a little bit old, uh, but still, I just think it's just fun seeing the drama ensue between these two companies. Simrush and Ahrefs are competitors, are direct competitors. Their tools do very similar things with different UIs, right? Um, so. Dimitri 
and Ahrefs, they call out SEMrush because uh, SEMrush is quote unquote Russian owned. So SEMrush has moved so that way the, the I, I believe that they're they're um, they're incorporated uh, in the U.S. I'm guessing in Delaware or something like that, but they still have a lot of employees in the U.S. So in this tweet, the ministry says to clarify what you refer to as events in Ukraine. He's, he is responding here to um, where is it to um, I guess to uh, Sam's Rush tweet. It says here, it says, uh, th- he's responding to this tweet. It says, we share in the global concern for today's events in Ukraine. This is like on February 24th when the, when the war first started. As a U.S. company with operations across the globe, we strongly oppose any act of war anytime on the planet. That's what Sam Rush says. And then, and then Dmitry says, to clarify, what you refer to as events in Ukraine is actually Russian aggression against Ukraine. Uh, you are a Russian company, 100% of your founders and two-thirds of your staff with sales offices in the U.S. to enjoy access to U.S. financial markets. And he shows here their employee uh, chart at SEMrush. It says, as of December 31st, 2020, we have over 980 full-time employees consistent of 177 in the United States, 640 in Russia, 87 in Czech Republic, 27 in uh, Cyprus, and it goes on. Mm-hmm. So basically, most of their employees are in Russia. Mm-hmm. And then Ahrefs tweets, Ahrefs is now blocking all access from Russia and Belarus. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is not stopping our colleagues, friends, and families, and so on. They go on. Um, yeah, I just, and and I just then, Googled it. I just Googled it. Semrush, their head office, their headquarters is in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So basically what people were talking about, I saw this that thread going on on Facebook, is like whether or not SEMrush was going to get shut down because of all these sanctions going on. Right, right. right. So SEMrush put out this uh, newsletter on LinkedIn Pulse, and they're saying, um, you know, they go on here, they go, uh, we've had the opportunity to work in UK and Russia for years. I understand firsthand the raw emotions, uh, you know, is going on. Um, and they say Semrush is a U.S.-based publicly traded company. I didn't know they were publicly traded. That's interesting. That is listed in the New York Stock Exchange. Our company was established in the U.S. in 2012. Um, they l- relocated to the U.S. in 2017. Semrush now operates in 23 countries with more than 1,300 colleagues around the world. Um, and uh, and it goes on. Um, says, uh, like many of our favorite household brands, we have a legal entity in Russia because we have employees there. We have an entity in Russia, so we may pay our employees and contribute to their pensions. Um, uh, we do not accept new business from Russia companies. Uh, we do not support this war politically, financial, or in any capacity. Um, and they go on. So what's interesting to me about this is I, like when, when everything was first happening and everyone was kind of like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like sanctioning and boycotting and so on uh, in, in Russia. It was interesting to see. And it was like, I saw there was like a vodka brand, I forget what vodka brand it was, where like they ended up changing the name of it. And it was like this vodka brand. I wish I was, I could tell you the name. I'm not a big vodka drinker. It's like a Russian vodka. Um, standard. But it, standard vodka or standard, standard Russian? Or uh, Russian, st- Russian standard. Uh, that's what it's called. No, I think there's another one. But anyways, oh, okay. the, the story was like, the guy, the the owner, is like left Russia. He's like outspokenly hated Russia and 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 uh, and Putin for a long time. That's why he left the country. And he's like an advocate against Russia. And and he was getting heat, being people that were like boycotting his vodka because it was a Russian vodka. And he's like he's like I like he has no attachment to Russia at all. And people were just yeah. boycotting it, you know. So that's why it's like it's a little bit of a touchy subject here around this. And I don't know. To me, 
I feel like it's not cool on Ahrefs side yeah. to be kind of criticizing Semrush. Is like you know they're in a position where like yeah they got a lot of employees there and they're doing you know what they're doing, but it's not like they they very much saying like we do not support this this war right yeah and so a, a good a good buddy of mine is in the semiconductor business and he he had, he had a client in russia and flat out said uh, i'm i'm really sorry i got I, I can't sell you any more equipment blah 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 and his client was super pissed off but he's like i'm an american company like <laughs> i can't like what do you want me to do you know and it's i i got i feel sorry for everybody on both sides because you you know there's a lot of innocent people in russia that did not want to go to war with ukraine and now all of these russian people are, are suffering big time and i mean I, I can't speak on behalf of Simrush, but uh yeah they're a sizable portion of their their staff members are, are in russia and and uh and yeah uh, dimitro here is is like I, I do i will admit like he does call out like events in ukraine that that that's kind of vanilla language to describe what's going on in the ukraine like i i, I have to yeah. admit like when i saw that i was like Ooh, that's it's, it's a little like passive aggressive yeah 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 so i know and it, and it, so and it, I, it yeah. clearly ticked him off to enough to make the the post it's it's an ugly situation all around for everybody and and now yeah. we're, and now we're kind of like going into like uh, we talked about moment marketing, right? How businesses and brands and influencers will insert themselves into what's going on in the world to to kind of like make sure that they're relevant. And it's and like this is like this is super like ah, this is messy ground, right? Because yeah, you you don't want to you don't want to. You want to be uh, you don't want to be uh, viewed as insensitive to what's going on in the Ukraine right now, but uh, but I mean, yeah, this is a, this is a, a sad situation for everybody involved for sure. Yeah, I'm just looking here at the uh, what else I've been talking about. They they pinned their their story. They said a message to our uh, CMOs uh, in our community. Our, our chief pinned, uh, what, on, on Twitter or, or LinkedIn? Yeah, on Twitter. On Twitter, they they pinned their 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 LinkedIn Pulse article at the top uh, of their, their okay. profile. But like in this case, like what are you? What are they supposed to do? Yeah, like like what are they going to do? Know, like, like fire all the Russian employees? Like yeah, it's like it's not fair to criticize uh, Semrush over this. It's not like they're coming and they they're saying here we stand with Ukraine. They changed their logo to the colors of of, of yeah. Ukraine. They're yeah. they're standing with Ukraine. Yeah, you know. So to me, it's just not. Nah, I don't know. How to say. I, I don't like it. I don't like the. Uh, the passive aggressive tweet from, uh, from Ahrefs <laughs> trying to call them out. I think it's not cool in terms of like how to, you know, compete with your competition, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and just seeing the threads and the stories going on on Facebook, I think that consumers are feeling the same way. Um, yeah. So. All right, Andrew, uh, let's uh, wrap up the episode. Um, uh, yeah, I think we went a little long today. Uh, so, uh, we're going to get a lot of, uh, clips here. Let's try to, uh, see, see how it goes. I think in the future, we got to get shorter episodes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, big time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, guys, if you guys are following along, um, follow us on Twitter because we are going to start running some Twitter spaces, which is basically going to be like a, a mastermind. A Twitter space is basically like clubhouse is an audio only room. Uh, and we could chat about marketing news, kind of things that are going on. So if you want to get an invite to that, just tweet at, the web friendly account on Twitter at web friendly and just let us know that you want to get an invite. And then I'll, I'll DM you the details of the times that we're going to be meeting up inside the spaces guys. So go to twitter.com slash web friendly to, uh, to get an invite there and just shoot me a quick tweet and just say, Hey, um, I want to, I would love to join you in the spaces when that happens. And then I'll, I'll let you know, uh, when we're going to be launching those, uh, or what days and what times. All right. 
And uh, anything else there, Andrew? Uh, nothing for me. This was fun. Love talking to you about the, all, all these things, marketing and content creator related. You guys hit the, the subscribe button and we'll see you in the next one. All right. Take care, guys. Bye.